The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Oh, Man. hey now. Yeah. All right. <laughs> hey, bleachers, bleachers. Tap, tap. Is this, this thing's on and we got, you got Tuttle and Blummer. Holy cow, the bleachers are back open. We had a little bit of a hiatus, man, and we apologize <laughs> well, to our fans did. greatly. Yeah, uh, things have been spiraling out of control in a good way here in Houston. You've been working your tail off. I've just been riding the coattails of one of the best teams, maybe if we start to dig into the numbers, maybe in baseball history, but one of the better runs in all of uh, postseason history. The Houston Astros are now two-time World Series champions. Whether you hate them, love them, like them, don't like them, suck on it. They got their second trophy. And, and that's where we're going to sit. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But we're also going to try and catch up. Because like Tuttle said, I haven't seen him, talked to him. We've had random texting moments where we get frustrated with each other's schedules. And we're trying to coordinate. Mark Ramos, our producer, is yelling at us. And he's making millions of t-shirts. Eventually, he's going to make enough to leave us. And we're going to be hung out to dry. But that being said, we're back in the bleachers. I am Jeff Blum. I played baseball for a little bit, and now I talk about it, and I've got my good buddy David Tuttle across the way on the left coast drinking some hop juice, and uh, he, he played baseball, and he, he's a good worker bee and does a very good job, and we're sipping on beers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shock the world right here. Ooh. I am now seeing, and we talk about this every Christmas season. I'm just going to break it up. I've got the St. Arnold Christmas sale. Ooh. I'm going early. I'm going early. Let's go. I'm I'm disappointed only because I was just making fun of my neighbors. Now I think Thanksgiving is not a holiday. Now you can make fun of we me. Took, we took down our Halloween stuff, and the neighbors have their Christmas stuff up. I'm like, I think we're <laughs> skipping a holiday. Like, what's going on now? The Christmas sales out. Gone. Yeah, Cancel. I mean, yeah. Pets' heads are falling off. Our pets' heads are falling off. Like what the <laughs> we're doing a podcast every four weeks now? I know what the hell's going on with the world? Yeah, it's funny. Like you said, you are busy. What in the name of Zeus's anus? Yeah. So let's uh let's start with um <laughs> since your your lovely voice is how you pay the bills. You are doing the announcement. I think this is the second or third year running on the tenth tee 
for the foursomes yes. at the Houston Open. And we started off about, um, I guess, griping about daylight savings in general when we were talking. Damn. But you guys got called a darkness today, but I don't think that dampened your uh, spirits. But you said you're tired. So what is a day like on the 10th tee calling uh, out the foursomes look like? It's fantastic, man. The Houston Open is probably one of my one of my joyous events. It's a nice finish to a season. Although I, you know, I I know they want to move this event to the March, to to the spring being in March possibly for this tournament. But I'm enjoying it while I can because I've had the opportunity to volunteer and be one of the starters on the tenth team. Both myself and Todd Callis split up the days. I've got Thursday and Sunday this year. He's got Friday and Saturday. But we get a chance to go up to the tee box and we hand out scorecards, which is probably the most stressful part of it because I've got to be brutally (laughs) honest. I know a lot of golfers and I do not know a lot of golfers. So I've got this skit. So I've got the scorecards and I got to make sure that these guys don't have their own scorecards. You know, if Tuttle and I are in a group, say it's me, Mark and Tuttle. Tuttle's got to have my card. I've got to have Mark's card. You know, we can't have our own card. Yes. So I also have to know who you are. And that's where I run into some issues. Because there are a couple of guys out there like Ben Grant and, uh, uh, oh man, what's a... Oh, Jake good old Fisher. Ben There's, Grant. I know Ben yeah. Grant. <laughs> but what's great, and I don't know if the caddies do this on purpose, that the caddies will actually come up with their bags and they have their names on their bags and they'll set their bag down before the actual golfer gets there. So I kind of like meander around, get a peek at the bag and I go, okay, whoever goes to that bag is, you know, uh, Ben Grant. And I'm like, okay, I can go over, give him and, and give him James Hahn's card. And I, you know, so it's like a process of elimination, but that's the hardest part of the job. And once they get on the tee box, I literally have to wait for the second, like the, as soon as the clock turns to the tee time, I got I got to go into action. Yeah. Cadence Bank, Houston Open. Now on the tee box out of uh, where'd you grow up? You were up Santa Clara. No. Yeah, San Jose no. works. San Jose out of San Jose, California, taking the tee. David Tuttle. And the crowd goes crazy with their golf claps, and you get the you get and the I little shank pop. one off the start. Well, well, fortunately, our the group that you and I would play in probably wouldn't have enough people down the line, down the fairway to, to hurt anybody. But there's a couple of photographers and cameras that are maybe about 15 to 20 yards out in front and out of the line of fire, so to speak. Yep. Whereas you and I, if it was like a down and in cutter and I turned on it and tried to hit a laser <laughs> to third, this guy's going down. Yeah. Do you think you could do that? Do you think you could tee off at a tournament with a gallery? I actually, this and, sounds ridiculous because I don't anybody? know. Yeah. I actually think I could only because you know this very well. Your awareness gets heightened in a moment like that. And I'm only speaking so like an old whatever. Like you, you would are, do though. so much. Yeah. You would just do so much not to do it. I think I told you this. One of my favorite stories from um, Matt Williams. I've had a few conversations with Matt Williams. He got the, uh, the glorious uh, honor of playing at Pebble Beach. You know, Ooh. and he said that was his like that was his nightmare. Like for weeks before Pebble Beach would start, he would lay in bed with the cold sweats because he didn't want to take somebody's <laughs> visualizing everybody off. down there. Yeah, like so. Yeah, so again, as an athlete, he probably went to the range every day and like, all right, I'll, I'll hit a three wood off that tee, and I'm gonna you know stay inside the ball, whatever. So the comfort club. I, yeah, 
I guess it's a problem that it would be fun to have. Like, hey, you know, we're inviting you. I mean, you would have that problem before I would, but maybe you get to play in the Pro-Am when you're at the Houston Open. It would be really interesting, but I think you would, uh, you know, I think you would be fine in that you would practice. It's like throwing out the first pitch. I know golf is harder, but you You would would work on it to the point where you would whoop. Yeah. Yeah, you hit a three in. iron off this tee. <laughs> you it's, a quick, <laughs> it's a 575 yard. It's a 575 yard par five. Yeah, I'm gonna exactly. hit three iron off here. Have iron. you seen that? Have you seen that video? I don't know what it is. It's like in the 1980s, and there's some poor lady teeing off, and there's a gallery down the left side, and she goes whack and drills somebody, drops them, and oh. they're you're hearing the you know one of the officials goes. Can we get an EMT to T10, please? Oh, and I mean, she I, tees it up again. Whack! Yeah. Goes into the crowd, and you hear you hear somebody in the crowd go, "Make her stop!" Because <laughs> <laughs> she's taking people out, yeah. dude. It's hilarious. All right, uh, now let's but, go backwards. Let's let's back the truck up, and I would say, you know, maybe that would be me. I'd be the lady. Make him stop! Make him <laughs> Make stop! Him We're stop. not inviting him back. Your one chance at the tournament. You're never it's all coming over. Back. Anyway, yeah, if Charles Barkley can do it, we could definitely do it. Come on. Yeah. No, I agree. I think it would just work, and you know, people. Buyer beware, right? This is like yeah. stand down, stand twenty yards in front of me, right off the tee box at your own at your own right. peril. Yes, <laughs> you, know? you made the Come choice. On. Wear it. Hey, <laughs> yes. How it. have you been, dude? What's going on hey. with David Tuttle and the fam and the whole yeah. crew, man? I've been busy and excited, and I will tell you, uh, Mark Ramos did put me in my place. But we watched every kind of inning of the world series certainly jenna you mentioned the little world series towel back here but she was waving that thing around the living room i'm like hey go sit down you're making me nervous you know and and i realized (laughs) in the eyes of a child you know we were certainly astros fans over phillies fans in this house and in the eyes of a child it's like i've got my old grizzled like you know when uh schwarber hit the home run in the sixth inning of game six jenna's like oh man man a zero zero now it's one nothing i'm like just be patient like you know, you can't hold this team down and whatever. So obviously it worked out. And I and I did text you. I said, hey, who? what smart gentleman said Houston in six? And then Ramos texted right away saying, hey, who also picked the Blue Jays to go to the playoffs <laughs> know, or the World Series? So. All of a sudden our chest gets puffed out and he just squares yeah. us up right in the sternum yeah. with a gut but punch. I'm like, I'm like, oh. But I'm like, hey, we picked the Astros in six and there it came to fruition. It looks like the Bleacher Blums actually, you know, the, the peanut gallery knows what we're talking about. Dude, so. we get, we're good at that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be shy anymore we, we are very good at predicting some of this stuff we've been all over yeah. it man yeah i agree so but i've been well everyone's healthy and well and we're trying to finish up some college applications here for tyler yeah. i know you you avoided that last year the wife probably took that responsibility oh, we're i actually all over the kids here with three of them oh oh yeah but the kid should be taking the responsibility that's every time addy gets on me about it i'm like isn't Dude. he supposed to write the essay? Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> Luckily, my wife is a little more. I'm I'm the one that will, will step in and be like, "Here, let's take care of that. I'll help you with that." Mm-hmm. My wife's like, "You do it. You need to learn mm-hmm. how to do." You know, she's not like that, but she's she's definitely more encouraging of taking care of it on yes. your own. How about, dude? My daughters, it's hilarious. You were a recruited athlete. You chose where to go to school because you had the best option. And I did the same thing. And my daughters, <laughs> it was terrible. My daughters are like, what was it like for you, dad? I'm like, well, Ugh. yeah. I kind of got, I wrote an essay, I think. Yeah. And then what'd you do with your application? Well, I got, I had to write it out in my, in my own handwriting. You know, yeah. that was kind of hard. 
And then when did you hear back? I go, I didn't, I don't remember hearing back from Cal. Yeah. I just remember my coach telling me when to show up. So yep. it's like, I missed out on all this excitement and getting that email and opening the letter and having that anticipation. It's so funny. I mean, and this is this just sounds like people listening to this podcast, thankfully, are baseball fans, and they realize that athletes, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, have had some, you know, the road was paved a little bit differently initially. But I agree mm -hmm. with you. I had my my mom gave us a box of. Um, it's funny that I chose Santa Clara. That's a whole other story. I told you seven came up to me I know. my junior I year in to the seven fall, all the time. and he's like, yeah, yeah, but he's like, hey, he goes total. How come you didn't come here? And I'm like. Because I weighed 150 pounds in high school and I went, you know, I was down the street, whatever. I said it works itself out. But I showed yeah. my kids, my one of my daughters, I had like, I'm sure you had more, but I had like 75 letters yeah, <laughs> or dude. 80, like the ones I kept, they had the cool yeah. logo on it. Like you had Arizona State and Stanford and all these, you're like, hey, this is great. Yeah, I got all these cool hello, envelopes. Total, we are interested in you coming to the yeah. University of Arizona, you know? Yeah. I was like, hey, this is pretty sweet. So anyway, so cool. I do have those letters and that was kind of fun. But yeah, you do, looking at my son doing the applications, I, I agree with you. We, we definitely had... Um, we definitely had a different experience. Let's just leave it at that. And and it is fun to see them, you know, I, I don't know, at least go through the process. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it's different there in Texas now, too. It sounds like your daughters don't necessarily want to come back to California. So here we're like, oh, the UC application. Oh. I got one that applied to Chapman out there. Oh, nice. Chapman. Yeah. I like Chapman. Excellent Chapman's school. Chapman's a great school. Yeah. Yeah, it's cheap, too. <clears throat> Especially out of state. <laughs> You're gonna yeah, have to move I'm back to, to fall California. Out of my chair just when to... I saw that tuition, I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, well, you know." Anyway, <laughs> but that's it. cool. I mean, it. Yeah, they're worth it. I mean, that's the whole. I, that's the way I look at it. At, at my wife had the same thing where she went to UC, and you know, paid in-state rates, and she didn't have a scholarship like you did. But you know, I mean, essentially, you're not like breaking the bank. But I mean, we've tried our whole. I guess adult life tried to, as you, as you have save up for the kids and you've told that story before, but it's like, yeah, whatever they want to do for those four years, we'll take care of it and make it happen. Right. So yeah, I'll fight for it. Make it happen. If you, if you do not have kids or you have a young child, <laughs> we have got advice here on the Bleacher Blums podcast. Find yourself a fiduciary and get yourself a 529 for that kid. Start now. That's right. Yeah. Start yeah, now. There you go. Us, oh, you you'll, sound you'll like thank us in 18 years. We should have a banner coming across the 529. <laughs> then I'll say, please make a donation to my 15 kids. Um, let me ask you about the World Series. We talked about us being right yeah, again mm -hmm. about the Astros winning in, in six. Um, I what, what were your impressions? What did you see? How did you feel? When did you, you know, when did you feel the momentum shifting? Did you what did you see? How how did that World Series play out in the eyes of David Tuttle? I appreciate you asking that, especially since you were so enthralled or like so enthralled is the wrong word. You were excited, but you were in the mix. Somebody from outside the mix. I was mix very is, engaged. Um, yes, engaged. As an adult, and you went to a couple games, but as an adult and a retired player, it is really interesting to watch when we talk on the podcast. I try and be measured and you say, hey, look, you know, baseball is an interesting sport. It's 162 games and the way you lay it out you know, 162 games is going to tell you kind of how the team is and, you know, what the strengths are, what the weaknesses are. But over a seven game series, you'll see, you know, the better team win. 
And then, of course, as we've talked about, we saw the Mets yeah. lose 100 when, t- you know, we saw the Dodgers lose. And you're like, ooh, all right, maybe, maybe I'm, let me, I'm looking back through the old uh, archives going, oh, maybe it's the hot team. Cause last year it was the Braves. <laughs> they were hot. You know, right. the COVID it, year, it was like a, in the bubble. The Dodgers. That's a very good comparison. Hot. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there was, and we did talk about it the last time we were together on the podcast that the Phillies definitely had, you know, the fight and Phillies had a chance because they were the hot team. But what I think we saw, and we will get into this because there was still some over over managing in crucial <laughs> situations. You know, the Dave Roberts syndrome hit Rob Thompson, I think, in game oh, six. Oh, man. But, and we said it I mean, wouldn't, and it did. It did. I mean, we but, were wrong and it on doesn't that. Hit, Yeah, and it doesn't hit Dusty, which is funny. But my point is, I did have some apprehension about the hot team winning, even though we said Astros mm-hmm. in six, because when the Phillies came out um, – up two to one. They won the first game. I was like, wow, they look pretty good, especially that game that was pitching. And then the seven, you know, the seven, five home runs, seven, nothing. I was, you know, but again, these are just one game wins, but they just seem to mean, we've talked about high leverage. They seem to mean so much more, but ultimately I think by game, when it was two, two, mm-hmm. when the Astros won the second game in Philly and made it two, two, I didn't have any more, I wasn't worried after that. Isn't that crazy? I kind of felt the same way, but I also felt that game five was such a huge, it wasn't, I I still feel like game five, once they won that game, I kind of, I eased off even more. I was like, okay, the series is over in six because they got Fromber. But talk a little bit about, because you, we, we saw the offensive side with the Philadelphia Phillies, like you're talking about. I felt, I felt terrible for Lance McCullers Jr. I don't I don't think he should have been out there to give up that many home runs. I think early on we saw that they were getting the barrel to the baseball and immediately that should have set off alarms to maybe get into that bullpen a little bit sooner and not I, I didn't understand why we had to sacrifice Lance McCullers out there for five home runs to set a World Series record. That yeah. being said, Give credit to the Philadelphia Phillies for barreling it up and scoring that many runs. But were you as surprised to see in that game, in that game four, the way that the Astros came back with Christian Javier and throw the second no hitter in World Series history after a game like that? Is that where you all, all of a sudden you were sold? You were like, dude, these guys have got it. I I was, and it's funny because JV was the best pitcher all year, the most consistent, and the big moment. You know, certainly doesn't phase him maybe the way it would phase other people, other professionals. But Fromber, they talked about like the coaching and the improvement over the year. I wrote this on uh, the text I sent you, but Christian Javier, I mean, that is a guy who was destined to do what he does. And they talk about his whatever, you know, the ball coming out of his arm. But that guy, my wife used to say this about me. And I'm sure, you know, if your wife ever, I, I don't know how. My wife's like, yeah, you have a slow blink. Like, you look relaxed out there. Like, you know, you get used to this environment. You get used to it. Christian Javier doesn't even blink. Forget slow blink. Like, I (laughs) I bet his heart rate is like 47 most of the game. I mean, doesn't he look like – he looks like a reptile. He's cold-blooded. He just goes out there. Yes. Dude, listen to this. You are are spitting the truth because, you know, we'll lay it out there for everybody that's listening – Tuttle's never been around this guy. I've been around Christian Javier. He is one of the sweetest guys, always says hi, always has a smile on his face, but he gets on the mound and all of a sudden everything just goes, it doesn't go dark, but it just kind of like turns into this amazing focus. And to your point, his nickname is El Reptile, which Ah, is the the reptile reptile in Spanish. So you didn't even know know that. that. No. 
Yeah. You know what it is? But it's, I like the your... idea of the slow blink. That's great. Yeah. To your point, though, it's funny because it's not like, um, you know, Randy Johnson or Kurt Schilling or Clemens, you know, when he threw the broken yeah, bat back. Like, it's not like, Arr. I mean, yeah. he doesn't have that at all. I mean, I'm sure he does somewhere in there. He wants to win or compete, but it's the opposite. It's like, like you said, he's not blank, but he just goes calm. He just goes, yeah. whoop. It's like, it's like uh, the stupid movie with Kevin Costner, yeah. right? It's like oh, the clear. Mechanism. Clear yeah, the mechanism. mechanism. But I mean, he's just, I mean, he, the, it's impressive. And I and I did say this just at the outset. I it, I didn't need them to be up 3-2. It, it obviously helped. But when they won in the fashion they did, I guess the no-hitter is just icing on the cake. You and I have preached pitching and defense, um, you know, Yep. To watch it in real time because you saw the seven home runs. And I will just push back a little bit on the McCullers thing is that I think okay. Lance, you saw him give the speech at the end of the year, like, you know, because he was one of the remainers, remainders. He's an OG. From the, yeah, OG uh, <laughs> from the 2017 year. It's like it didn't diminish his reputation or his leadership in the no. clubhouse at all. And I do think if you're giving up solo home runs, I don't think it's sacrificing him. I think it's the consistency of Dusty Baker, who's still looking at pitch count, looking at how they're squaring up the ball, knowing that they're pitching, you know. Uh, I mean, John Smoltz said it. He's like, Bryce Harper is sitting on a breaking ball in this at bat. I didn't know it was going to yeah. be the first pitch, but obviously <laughs> – you know, they had some film because they kept cutting to them and he was whispering to Stott and he was whispering to somebody else. Like, they knew yeah, something. Yeah, there was something in the delivery something. that was giving it away, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he was tipping his pitches. It was probably just, hey, that one time well, he threw 28 curveballs. I mean, yeah. yeah, but they were like, he threw 28 curveballs <laughs> in a row. Don't go up there sitting on fastballs. 18% fastballs in that game, you're right. Yeah, so, so I just think Dusty did a good job. If he was giving up, like... You know, in the, if it was a second inning and he gave up a second grand slam, right, and it's eight nothing, you got to get him True. out of there. But it's like solo shot here, solo shot there. You're like, eh. So anyway, okay. so that's that's just a little pushback. Well, meaning that I think it no, was the but right I appreciate thing. that. Now that being said, are you in the camp? Well, that being you, you saying that, are you in the belief that the next two games were helped by McCullers being out there because your bullpen was pushed back a little bit and maybe saved? I don't know. You know, that that's a I mean, I know that that would be a good narrative. What I would say is that what what we know about the Astros bullpen and James Click can probably get credit for this. They actually went over that today and we were going to talk about him a little is that mm -hmm. I don't think the Astros needed a bullpen save the way the Phillies do, right? I mean, it was like how do we get to Alvarado and how do we get to Sir Anthony and I was really that's impressed a great with point. That two to one, uh, the the game where the Phillies went up two to one, so that must have been game three, um, when they were hitting McCullers, that pitcher was solid. But they went to Alvarado and Anthony early, and I remember mm -hmm. them saying, "Hey, what's he doing? Like Sir Anthony's in the sixth inning. It's like, hey, it's a three nothing game. You got to protect." Yeah, they went this to him even early. earlier in game one. Yeah, that's right, and they went early. It was like a and desperation mode early. I think that was his strategy. Get those guys in yeah. for those crucial innings, and if you could build a lead like they did, seven nothing. I mean, obviously you couldn't bring in anybody, but you don't need your you don't need your high leverage guys when you're up seven nothing and it's already yeah. kind of going your way. So I actually like the way he managed there, even though those guys came in early. So I think the difference was the Astros bullpen. I mean, was was lights out regardless. Like you didn't need to yeah, save those guys. Anybody. You didn't need to save yeah. those guys. Don't you agree with that? I mean, you were sitting no, there. No, I, I completely mean, agree. Did no, it matter you know, who came in? 
But that's why we talk about it, because once you get yeah. this process going, and hopefully this is something that happens in those dugouts, too, between manager, bench coach, pitching coach, yeah. you start to have these conversations. And I'm sure at some point, Josh Miller was probably sitting in the corner with his arms crossed going, you could say a name right now. We're going to bring him in. He's going to shut this thing down. Yeah. You know, that's how he felt in some of those later games uh, when they did have those leads. Now, talking about Rob Thompson and some of those premature exits for his pitchers, it worked for him in game one, going to some of his guys early, but you noticed in game six, maybe bringing Zach Wheeler out of that game probably wasn't the best idea. You know, I I, I know you agree with this, but I just, this is what we keep talking about. I feel like if you go back and listen to, you know, 200, 300 episodes of Bleacher Blums, and maybe in 10 years we'll hear more about this. I use mean, your eyeballs. Yeah, just use your eyeballs. That's what Dusty did. And that's why Dusty has another year as a manager. And that's what Dusty does. And he's not changing Nailed that. It. So it's not the analytics thing. Your analytics yes. are great. I, I heard somebody being interviewed recently and they were talking about analytics again. They're like, look, I like analytics. Maybe it was related to football, but there was no reason. Make somebody give you a reason to take Wheeler out of the game. There was no reason. What What's the purpose? Tell me if you can come up with two good reasons why you came up with taking him out of the game. Give me two. I can't. Give me one. I can't. Yeah. How, yeah. Well, you talk about analytics. How about analytics in the moment? Was it pitch count? Nope. Yeah. His analytics in that moment were saying, leave him in. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And Maybe you know what? Jordan was struggling and a guy, a lefty throwing 100 miles an hour. Like, that sounds really so, good. But yeah, I but know Wheeler, the Wheeler's say got Jordan fastball, changeup, cutter, curveball. He's got yeah. f- what four plus pitches, and you bring in Alvarado. Guess what? He's got two. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I go in there and I go 50-50 on a fastball, and he gives it to me. Guess what's going to happen for Jordan? Yeah. He's not going to yep. miss it. If he kept it elevated, I guess. But I mean, I just again, I he there hit was, the living dog piss oh, out of that ball. Well, that's the, the other thing they were talking about. Oh Schwarber, Schwarber's home run. It was four hundred eighty-eight feet or whatever against the Padres. How was Jordan? As not soon as at he hit it, far? no, I know. But as soon as he hit it, it was just like, oh my gosh, you were there at the game, weren't you? Not. I mean, on a two-one, Alvarez. It's a high drive center field. Veerling's back. This game is turned up. The best way to learn a language: immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Side down! Yeah, well, that was yeah. the amazing thing is I'm down the right field, or yeah, I'm down the right field line, so I got this like panoramic view of it. Oh. And I'm just sitting there. I got to post the video, but my, my wife yeah. has video, and I'm just like, I said something like, "I go right now, Jordan. This is the one." And I mean, all of a sudden, the next pitch, kaboom! And you kind of yeah. went, 
yeah. And then you went, holy shit, did you see how far he hit that ball? You know? So yeah. it was kind of like the elation get- and the relief and then yeah. the astonishment about how far that ball went. You got to love the no doubters. I mean, it's funny because oh. I've been in a stadium full of people, and every time there's a high fly ball, everyone's like, oh, oh. And then oh, it's even the more so in the playoffs, the man, because everything's yeah. like, oh. yeah. yeah. So we should probably take a break here. Blue Wire Podcast Network, Bleacher Blubs Podcast. Let's take a break for They're our I'm excited uh, to see you, man. This is great. It, it is awesome. And there's so much more to talk about. So we'll be know. right back. <laughs> Hey, welcome back here, Bleacher Blum's podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blummer drinking the Christmas ale. Cheers. And having a little out. Um, All right, so I guess I thought that was the St. Arnold's What's on Tap. That's the longest What's on Tap we've ever had. I wanted to talk about, or we wanted to talk about, uh, maybe, of course, the fantasy football aspect of our relationship. Um, We've already touched on the World Series, but we'll get more into that. Um, James Click, Dusty Baker, who comes back, who doesn't, what's going on for the offseason. The hot stove is hot already. Mm. Um, and then I actually had something for you, Blummer, and I can tease it a little bit since I sent it to you. But I was listening to the NFL network over the weekend, and they always cut to the local broadcast. And I wanted to get into the we versus they for yeah. commentators. Like, well, we had them at third and two, and then we walked the linebackers up. And I was like, we? Like, what are we talking about? (laughs) Like, yes, the Astros won the World Series again, and Blum will get a ring, probably a replica ring again. But I don't hear you and TK saying we and we, we, and we did all this, and we were out at BP and all that. So anyway, so we, we sounds very French, but that's what I wanted to talk about. So that's what brought to you. By St. Arnold. That's what's on tap. Par- parlez-vous français? Parlez-vous français? <laughs> All right. So what's on tap brought to you by St. Arnold. And is it Christmas ale? What is it? What are we specifically uh, I, drinking? I pounded Christmas. the Christmas ale. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just a straight up our car. That's all we're doing. Oh, okay. It must be nice though. The sponsor, they got the little St. Arnold beer fridge in your podcast studio there. So that I know. At nice. some point I got to ask him for like uh, one of those neon signs to put behind me. Really Ooh, pimp this place. That'd be out. great. Well, when I come out and we do a podcast there, which we keep threatening, we oh, thought we'd do it before Christmas, but let's do it before spring out. training. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna send myself. I'm gonna buy a St. Arnold fridge for my office. So mm-hmm. I'll send it out, ship it out. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, your wife posted some of the uh, <coughs> bottles that you got from Napa. Oh, she was like, Man, don't I take think he made Napa. No, I think he made a mistake. Like, aren't these just supposed to be a bottle of wine? Like, hey, what? Like, she had no idea, are... dude. She's like, you fill it out. I, yeah. She was in charge of one <laughs> vineyard. I was in charge of another, and mine came gotcha. back large. Nice. Got, That's good. Yeah. You're a smart man. Yes. No, I, I was very, I was so grateful to be up there. I was just like, uh-huh. I was like, I was the, uh, Oprah of the of the wine bottles. I'm like, mm. we well, are going to get one. You're getting one. We're all getting one. Let's go. Nice. Yeah, I'll be. I will be waiting for mine. But you did send uh, my daughter a really nice jersey and a towel, which is sitting there too. So, I it's part brainwashing, part excitement. Like you get the swag, and we're all excited. Then I'm like, well, wait a second. How but come we have so much Houston? Why do we yeah. have so much Houston Astros shit in our house? Like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> we can't be walking. We can't be advertising that. We live in Southern say, California. You gotta be careful going outside out there. Yeah, we're gonna get in trouble. Anyway, so let's uh, let's finish up with the World Series talk. You asked me what I thought and when you thought it was over, when you knew they were going to win. It was a little – I mean, the Phillies came out won the first game. They were up 2-1. to one. They looked like they had some momentum. Obviously, the no-hitter changed that. That's when it changed for me. 
what you yeah. went to a couple games. Do you still feel like, oh yeah, you know, Astros and six, like, you know, that they're, they just have the better pitching and defense, which we talk about all the time. Or was there a moment when you were a little more nervous than others? And then when you thought, oh yeah, the Astros are the Astros. Um, when JV got his first world series win, that's when I kind of, it kind of tipped the scale greatly into the direction of, oh, this, this is over in six, just because the way the matchup was Framber Valdez, Zach Wheeler had a tired arm and I'm talking about before the game. Now, when you get five innings into this game and there's zero, zero, and then all of a sudden you got, uh, Kyle Schwarber again, hitting another damn home run. I went, Oh, snap, dude. Frommer never gives up home runs. And he gave up one left on left. It might have been the third one he gave up this season of all, like, every Mm -hmm. game he's pitched. And I was going, huh. I wonder – and you always wonder if that's going to to put – like, bury the other team or if it's going to piss them off. And I felt like it kind of pissed off the Astros. It kind of went – like, are you serious? Fromber's given up one run, we're losing, and all of a sudden they were like, we need to step this thing up. And they put together great at-bats against Zach Wheeler, and then Rob Thompson went to go get Alvarado. I I honestly felt that that was probably the best thing for Jordan Alvarez is to have that left-hander come in because he had faced him several times in the postseason. He was getting a good good visual on that release point and the action on the pitch. Um and I feel like when you when you're left on left, all of a sudden you you start to your your idea of hitting changes a little bit. You're like, okay, I got to keep my front shoulder closed. I got to stay back behind the baseball. All of a sudden, you're thinking about just getting in the right position and seeing the baseball. And man, if he didn't get a fastball out over the plate at 99 and put that thing up above the batter's eye, and that's when the place erupted, and that's when all of a sudden everything I imagined came to fruition, and uh, I was able to be on the field for the trophy presentation. One of the highlights of the night is uh, family, media, everybody's on the infield, and they've got all the players up on the stage. And, of course, Rob Manfred's got to hand the trophy over, and we all know how we feel about Rob Manfred, but we ha- I had families around me, and myself and Corey, and they're like, Rob Manfred will now present the World Series trophy. And here we go, Commissioner. The Houston Astros had a great regular season, just completed an incredible postseason run. The entire stadium erupted in booze. And guess who was one of them? This guy. I'm booing booing. as loud as I could. And these two little dudes next to me were like, can you do that? And I'm like, hell yeah. I'm like this so dude. They started stinks. booing too. No, you got yeah, these two like, okay, little boo. dudes booing. You know, yeah, totally indoctrinating. <laughs> you talk about indoctrination and brainwashing. I'm like, yeah. this guy is terrible. There you go. But it was great to see the trophy handed to Jim Crane, and Jim Crane got emotional. Man, this yeah. this this trophy meant a lot to these guys, and it was really fun to see. Yeah, yeah. So you knew when JV got his win that that was a flip, which is kind of what you and I both said when it became two yeah. two. I thought that yeah, was you kind said of the same thing. That maybe it was three two, but but that's good to hear. Um, what was I going to ask you about the? Uh, well, there were a couple things there that were funny about uh, Manfred. I uh, the celebrations are getting out of control. There was a Twitter feed of Dusty Baker drinking a vodka, like a, they had a vodka. Yeah, what ice were they fountain sipping out of? Like an ice sculpture, and they're doing. I know, shots but it's like who brings an ice sculpture? In the, I mean, like you hey. know, it used to be champagne and Budweiser. Now it's like, dude, like let's roll in well, the ice like, sculpture. <laughs> this was made by a five star chef. He chiseled it from one block yeah, of ice. Dusty's and down there's there, Dusty like. Baker down there. Like, all right, Dusty. Okay, you so know, I get the ice scope. Could we have raised it just a little bit so they didn't have to like bend over yeah. and like suck it out you, of there? 
you know he's older than 70. Like, now he's got a crank. Wow, we have had a bad back, you know? It's like, I all right. blew out my down. back doing shots. There you go. But I don't think he cared at that point. And uh, it's really nice to see Dusty get the uh, the World Series trophy as a manager. Absolutely. As we've talked oh. about consistently about me uh, being a Giants fan. And, you know, that 2002 scene, they actually had an interview with Russ Ortiz. Like, it just seems to live yeah, in infamy. That. Like, it was some... Yeah, but it's like some crazy thing, and it wasn't really. It, they made it out to be more than it was, but they you know, always do. Yeah, you're right. I know they always do. So anyway, but it was really nice to see Dusty get that. And I think when we talked last on the podcast, we thought that it was possible that Dusty may step down, like as a champion. But it looks like he'd like to go another mm-hmm. year. Um, what's? I mean, I don't know how much you're allowed to talk about, and maybe it's all still just hearsay and scuttlebutt because you know yeah. you have a couple podcasts that you're on, and people ask you these questions. <laughs> but what's uh, what do we think? So Dusty's coming back, and then what do we think about James Click? And you know, he and Jim Crane maybe seem to be a little eh, at odds. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's the most interesting thought, interesting part because you know we talked about Dusty throughout the course of the season. We talk about Aaron Boone. We talk about Dave Roberts. We've talked about Tony Larue. There are plenty of managers that we've yeah. we've gotten into and yeah. discussed how they handle regular season games. But the way that Dusty managed the postseason kind of turned me in the direction of bring him back. I don't care. I thought he did a great job in the postseason. We've talked about it, about how he he used the analytics, but also a lot of that old school in putting his pitcher starting pitchers out there for a lengthy amount of time. And a lot of people are like, oh, it's too long. And you and I think, I think, both feel the same way. We're like, ah, that's good. Put him out there for six innings. See if he can't do it. And then go to that bullpen and really shut things down. But the way he managed that bullpen, he was trying to manage through getting a designated hitter to do something. I mean, his hands were tied at that DH spot, so it was really kind of frustrating to watch him try and find those guys. I felt terrible because Mancini couldn't do anything. Uh, who else do you have? Aledmus Diaz didn't yeah, do anything. Yeah, struggled. Yeah, he even and then Vasquez you had, in there when Gurriel was out, right? So, it's but like, I, but finally, you just kind of gave up, and you're like, "Screw it, we'll we'll put Vas, Vasquez in there because he's arguably the better hitter of those guys on the bench." Hensley put together some good at bats, only got one hit, but I mean, you were just kind of scram, or he was scrambling to try and figure out what to do before eventually just going with Vasquez. They end up winning the game. He had a huge RBI in that ball game. Um, so I do appreciate what Dusty did, and it makes sense to come back because if you think about it, this team, even with Justin Verlander opting out of his contract today and becoming a free agent, there's still the possibility he comes back. How loaded is this team? You still have Framber Valdez, Lance McCullers, Jose Urquidy, Christian Javier, Luis Garcia, Hunter Brown in your rotation, and the only guy that's a free agent out there in that bullpen is Rafael Montero, and there's a chance he comes back. That is your pitching staff that carried you through this World Series and into this championship, so that looks great. And if you're Dusty Baker, hey, I'll sign up for one more year. Maybe we go back-to-back. Well, I mean, the criticism for James Click and for Dusty has been they were handed the keys to a you know a Rolls Royce. True, and I this think, is an excellent point. No, yes, no, but no. So I would agree with you. So if you win the World Championship and you have the utmost respect of all these people, then how cool is that to be like, hey, we'll just keep it going. Like, and to your point, he did an outstanding job of, like you said, not over managing. A lot of people would say, oh, this is the team, and yeah. these are the people that you have to get this done with. And in all honesty. Honesty, I mean, it, it's ideal. So I, I think that's an excellent you know word what? for it. He did not overmanage. 
No, he didn't. And I think what's funny, you you brought up these I guys. Like so it. I think Michael Schwab, your favorite, posted today. He actually posted the lineup of holes in the lineup. And I think it was designated hitter and first base, right? That aren't signed. He went down the order. He's like, Jose Altuve yeah. in, you know, like, and he just went all the way down the lineup. And you're like, oh, great. And you have, you know, Chaz McCormick coming back. And you have, you know, uh, I don't know. Everybody, Pena obviously coming back. I mean, all these guys. So Tucker I, Pena, uh, Maldonado, yeah, I mean, you, can, you, could, you could find like, catcher. You know, yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe they sign out uh, uh, Michael yeah. Brantley back. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, man, yeah, they're 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 in a very good position right now to actually go out yeah. there and compete in the West, if not get to the World Series again. Well, so then let me ask you about um, James Click, and and this yes. is a, an honest this is a question tough because one. this is a yeah, tough but one. this was on MLB today, and I was really impressed with the questions and then what I heard from Chandler Rome. So Chandler Rome was talking about what a commodity James Click would be anywhere. He came from Andrew Friedman yes. in Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is a solid organization with a really nice structure. What James Click has actually done in Houston, which was Hector Neris. Um, you know, Rafael uh, Montero it, trade. Ra- exactly. The Rafael Montero trade when they needed it. Right. Stanek, because he knew Stanek from Tampa Bay. He's like, yep. hey, this guy's got. So, I mean, we talk about how fantastic their bullpen was and how deep they were. And that's really what kept them in confidence or, or kept the team confident about winning when it got late and it got close. Those were all James Click's moves. Those are the only things he really could do, right? I mean, you can't yeah. like get rid of the whole lineup. Like Pena was one yeah. thing that was a question mark at the beginning of the year because Correa was such a productive asset in there. But I mean, the bullpen can be attributed to James Click. That yes. and Dusty, the way he managed them, are what won them the World Series, essentially. True. So I know they're in an impasse, probably, but I have gotten on James Click. Also, because it sounds like he was handed this, you know, great team and he didn't really do much, but maybe he's done more than we think. And maybe it's just a relationship thing, right? We just don't get along. But maybe you work through that because there's a couple of things in there. I wanted to ask you, you know, we talk so much about GMs and you talk about, let's just take the New York Yankees and Brian Cashman, for instance. He made some moves at the deadline, but they weren't, they weren't dramatic moves. They weren't game changing type moves. They were either lateral moves or he didn't make moves, and he got ridiculed for some of the moves he didn't make. Yeah. Now, James Click, on the other hand, like we said, has the keys to the Ferrari. Do you think James Click should get some credit for not making that drastic move at a trade deadline for maybe a center fielder or maybe for somebody else on the, in that rotation? I don't know, but, I mean, at, at some point, you have to appreciate the fact that he said, we've got a good thing. I believe yeah. in these guys, and we don't need to alter it, right? Yeah, you know— a lot of this, and you know this now being uh, a, an older gentleman like myself, I mean, the bottom line is luck is the residue of design, right? Is So we don't know if James Click was laying in bed at night going, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this move, that move. No, I'm just going to stay pat because I think the chemistry is ideal and these guys are going to make it happen. I mean, nobody in a million years could have seen Chaz McCormick you know, hitting a home run off of, uh, off of uh, Garrett Cole and also making no, a catch, right. which – 
as I said, yes. Gar- making a catch that could get him a statue outside of Minute Maid. That was his Jeff Blum <laughs> moment, right? That was the Jeff he Blum did. moment of the World no, Series. It's like, hey, 100% in right. 20 years, if you come back for that, celebrate that team, there could be Chaz McCormick against a chain link fence out there making a catch. And nobody could have seen that. And nobody knows if James Click was trying to trade Chaz McCormick or send him down and get somebody to take his place. Nobody knows. It doesn't really matter. The way it worked out was ideal. And I think he does deserve a little credit. What they did talk about today, and again, I'm I'm much further removed from it than you are, is that James Click and Jim Crane don't necessarily see eye to eye, you know, their personalities. But, you know, both you and I have been married for a significant amount of time and you don't always see eye to eye. So it's kind of no, like, what what are you what are we gonna do? That's, that's I mean, a this God's is, honest truth. Yeah, there you go. Hey, hey now. Um, but I, but I I just don't know. So that's tougher than Dusty. I don't know if he's coming back, but um, it would be interesting to see what are they going to do. All the GM positions are filled. Most front office positions are filled right now. There aren't yeah. any openings. So what what do you do? And and somebody would snatch well, him up, I believe. That's the thing is I think that he is. I don't know if he's established it, but he has definitely piqued maybe the interest of people around the league going, huh. I wonder if this James Click guy is for real because now he has that World Series ring to put on his finger and he can wander around and say, I, I, I was the GM of a World Series championship team, which he was. But that being said, I can't imagine that a, a general manager as young as James Click after winning a World Series, how does he feel? How, how, would, how, how is he going to approach? What if they extend him one year? I don't feel like he's going to be as accepting of a one-year deal as a Dusty Baker would be. These are two guys in two totally different places. James Click is, you know, on that upward trajectory, whereas Dusty's hit the peak. He wants to do it again, and he's a little bit older, so he's kind of, you know, he's counting his days a little bit and trying to write his Hall of Fame speech. So I, that's where I'm kind of curious. You know, there, I, I just, man, yeah. Or maybe it's a point. Maybe you've gotten to the point with the World Series championship that we're like, look, I know we're not going to get get along every single moment of the day, but by the end of it, we have the same idea of winning, and we just did it. So why not try and replicate that and do that again? I don't know. Yeah. No, I think you bring up a good point. I mean, if you're in a position where it's a one year deal versus a three year deal somewhere else, like what do we all do for our family? And that's the that's the other thing, right? Like, well, how much mm-hmm. how much confidence can you say, hey, we didn't get along this way or that way? And you know, winning Was heals it a really lot. Really that right? bad? Like, how right. bad would it have to be? <laughs> that's right. Win- we don't know. Winning heals. I, I have no, no idea. No, I agree. Winning heals a lot. There's an old joke and makes me think of it. It's like, hey, the guy comes running home from the, his job and he goes, honey, honey, I won the lottery. Pack your bags. And she goes, oh, we won the lottery. Pack my bags. Where are we going? He goes, I don't know, but you got to get the hell out of here. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like that in my mind, which is, hey, That's we won the World Series, right? Like, hey, we didn't get along all year. The scuttlebutt has been like, hey, we better win it. And we don't know what's going on. And I'm not going to talk contractor in the middle of the year. But hey, mm-hmm. hey, we won the, you know, we won the World Series. What do we do? I don't know, Jim, but, you know, James, but you got to roll out. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I just don't know either. And it sounds like you don't uh, as well. And I, I don't I know. I honestly don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And both of us would say, I would say this, if I get an offer of a one-year deal, after winning a World Series and I'm a young guy, I might be like, hmm, I should probably look elsewhere. Because somebody is, you know, as I mentioned, he was in Tampa Bay. 
Tampa Bay has one of the best young pitching staffs yeah, in the you know, all of baseball. He's got pedigree. And they, yeah. yeah, and they fight in the American League East every single year with the big boys, the Yankees and the Red Sox. So, you know, somebody will say, hey, I don't think it's an accident that James Click got the Tampa Bay where it is. And I don't think that, you know, the mm-hmm. moves he made for the Astros bullpen, which is the best bullpen in baseball, were an accident yeah. either. So he's certainly going to get some. No, interest. he can take so, credit anyway. for that bullpen. He constructed a wonderful bullpen. Yeah, yeah. But I'm actually thrilled on this podcast that we continually continually talk about analytics versus eyeball test. And to see Dusty Baker, who we said before, some of the older guys in the in the game, like getting out there that, you know, that just use their eyeballs. And now yeah. other people may, you know, open their eyeballs and take notice. I don't know. Yeah, buddy. All right. Last topic for the night. <clears throat> It's after hours here on the East Coast and certainly or on the West Coast. See, I don't even know where I'm at. One beer and I have no idea where I'm at. Um, no, that's that you, baseball brain. We never know what day it is, where we're at. Yeah. Just tell me when to show up. There you up. go. But you only have to, work, you have to work Thursday, Sunday. So you got a couple of days off at the Houston Open. So you're good. Yeah. And then this whole, yeah. yeah. I got to go so the last on social media. Oh, nice. I can't wait to do yeah. that. Who does that? You? I, I, I did it. I, I, and they give me... What's with the little microphones these days? What is that? Ooh, Have you know. seen all these things like the little microphone? Yeah. You got to talk to this little uh, microphone. You got to, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, I yeah, I got to do the little microphone questions in the gallery at uh, the Houston Open, but it's it's kind of funny. All right. Well, we'll so, see. Sidebar. We'll, yeah, no, let's, uh, I want to see some Twitter, <laughs> Twitter stuff about that. My question to you, um, as I hinted at in uh, What's on Tap, is the we versus they. In the uh, in oh, I've got a great bit. answer for this. Yeah, yes, I love it. See, we didn't even tee it up, but I just it, it hits my ears wrong. You know, it just hits my ears wrong. Explain I know that, you though. All right, so when you're now, in the fight, you, let, you let me, do, oh, let me ask. So no, let me. I want you to explain that because is it on a national scale or is it when you're watching your local team? Well, this is funny. I was listening to Sirius XM channel 88. So there you go. NFL gets gets a pump because they they during. Sundays when I'm driving around taking my daughter to soccer those. or whatever, yeah. they bounce all over. Like, hey, well, let's go to Jacksonville and hear what they have to say. Jacksonville's on the 22 yard line, you know. And anyway, mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence drops back to but pass. You're getting a Ooh. mix of you're getting a mix of all different yeah, regions right. and stuff like that. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, when Jacksonville has the ball, that's great because they they go to the Jacksonville group. But when they punt or they kick a field goal and it changes, then they're like, "All right, we're going to the Jacksonville Giants game." Then they go to the Giants on offense, and it's the Giants broadcasters. But so, so this you're is getting interesting all the, the local calls, broadcasters. Local, yes. yes, say that. That's again. what yeah, you're asking. Get all the locals. Yeah, it's all the locals, right? So yep. you do not hear this on a national broadcast. I guess that was your question. So it is local. Yeah. So you happen to be AT and T Sportsnet. Sportsnet local broadcaster for the Houston Astros. Yes. So do you use we or they when they're talking? And typically, let me give you the example that was bothering me. I don't remember what team, but it was, you know, a guy who was a two-time all-pro cornerback for the New Orleans Saints or something like that is the guy in the booth. He's the color guy. He's Jeff Blum. He's the guy who hit the home run in 2005, you know, whatever. (laughs) He's that guy. But he hasn't played in a while, and he's up there, and he know, you know, he does his film study, his lineup study, his whole deal, and he's like, "Oh man, we we should have run the ball there. We were passing, and I don't get what you know we're doing there." And it's like, we, I mean, I think it's just it just hits the it just hits the ears wrong to hear we. I don't know why it hits my ears wrong. I mean, I think most fans, if they've watched the team, 
basketball does it all the time. You know, it's kind of like Walt Frazier's the guy for, you know, Tommy Heinsohn, all these guys for the Boston <laughs> Celtics. They were like the original Red Auerbach Celtics, right? They were the guys. And But I don't hear them going, oh, well, we, you know, we we used to run the three-man weave and we used to, you know, we just throw the, <laughs> we would just throw the ball down to Kevin McHale down there because, you know, we knew how to win. Like, I just, it just hits the ear wrong. So you said you had a good answer. I think you understand where yeah. I'm getting at. What, what say you and what happens to you when you hear somebody go, well, we were looking for fastball there and we hit it off the batting eye. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big play for us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, it, it, I, so when I started broadcasting, I, I think I did a little we and us and things like that, which I probably shouldn't have done because at the time I was broadcasting, they were losing 111 games. So I probably shouldn't have like claimed them at all. <laughs> but I slowly moved into the camp of them. They, the Astros, calling them by their team name and and being a broadcaster for the Astros. Because, and the reason I do that, and the reason I do not say we, us, I wish we would have kind of thing is because I had my time. It was glorious. I loved being an Astro. I loved being what I didn't love being a Tampa Bay Ray. Everybody else I loved being on. <laughs> I could not stand the Tampa Bay Rays. I will, not, I will not claim them. That's why their jersey hangs in my shitter. But the reason I don't do it is because I had my time. I want these guys to have their time. And who knew I was going to be in the middle of this golden era of Astros baseball where my voice and TK's voice were going to be all over this thing. Julia was going to be on there. And I think that all three of us really understand that as much as we are a part of this team, and I appreciate that, and we are Astro employees, we understand that those, those are the guys going out there and playing their asses off and making these plays and doing these things. So in, as an ex-player, I try and put all the glory on them. You know, if, if they make a mistake, I try and compare it to mistakes I've made and say, hey, I've done the same thing. I've made the same mistake. This is how you make the adjustment and move on. But I just don't believe that if I go out there and say we or us, it's going to bring I don't need I don't need to bring value to myself when these guys are as good as they are. And it's it's just the separation from being a player to a broadcaster and letting these guys have their fun, letting them take the credit. Because, you know, I'll go out and talk to to I just talked to middle school schoolers the other day and I'm like, you got to own your failures so that you can own your successes. And I want these guys on the field to own their own successes. I'm just a conduit that brings it to the people back and that are listening to it at their homes. And that's where I get a lot of the joy from watching these guys. It's kind of that proud parent thing. You know, when my kids go out and accomplish something, like my daughter wins a state title, I didn't, I had nothing to do with it. I was just, I was, I had the pom-poms on, I'm cheering and you win that thing. Or when my, you know, when one of my triplets gets accepted to uh, University of uh, Oklahoma just recently, you did that. I want them to own that. And that's just kind of where I come from as far as the we and us type thing, where I put that on them, where they they can own that success and have some fun with that. Yeah, I mean, well, yes, you didn't have anything to do with your daughter winning a state volleyball title, except you produced your daughter. So, you know, there's a DNA's in there somewhere, I guess. That little small, that little me, small thing. Yeah, that's right. Hey, that's what the doctor <laughs> said. Um, but no, you make you make a really good point because I think 
when you were first in the broadcast booth, which you already said, and you know, obviously you get better at your job, right? Your job for many years was a professional yeah, baseball it player. Was a you lot would take practice, batting yeah. practice. You were like, hey, I went from the Astros locker room literally one day, like one spring training, to the next year going, hey, we're going to give you a couple games. Go up in the booth and see how it, how it works out. <laughs> And, you know, you were, I mean, last year that was your teammate or, you know, last year that guy was lockering next to you. And I think yeah. that that probably you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, we were down there and, you know, we were shooting the breeze and, you know, this is what he said. And you're like, oh, yeah, like, wait a second. That, you know, because there is a transi- transition to get to that um that next level. But again, we joke about being media. You'll always be one of the players and you'll always be kind of in the inner circle. But I do think yeah. – just for credit and for distance in general, those guys own their failures. I mean, you're allowed to critique them on on air as well, and you know how to do that professionally where you're not critiquing, you know, who they are and where they came from. You're critiquing like, hey, like, you know, you got a catch-up ball, whatever it is, yeah. right? Because you would have said mm-hmm. the same thing to yourself. Yeah, I always say that, right? game, yeah. Right. If somebody critiques you and it's something you would have critiqued yourself about or you would have even been harder on yourself about, you know, like thank you. Then you can live with it, right? You I can live with it. Like that's an actual that's a very good lens to look at it through. Is if I did the same thing that that player just did, I would expect the criticism. And I've got trust me, <laughs> playing for 14 years, I've gotten the criticism. Yeah. So but I also try to temper it a little bit understanding how hard the game of baseball is. Absolutely. And sometimes it doesn't seem like they, they do that. It is funny. You brought it up at the outset of the podcast, the frustration. Um, I wasn't frustrated at all. I mean, it sucks that I don't get to see you for two weeks and we're trying to figure out schedules and it's like, hey, you know, we're copy pasting text like, hey, I said I can't do this. And we said we could do this. It's like I don't get frustrated with stuff like that, um, you know, because my wife will read a text to me. And she goes, look, look at this text I got. It says and then she reads it with tone. Like it says, I can't make it at that time. And I'm like, it's just a text. It says I can't make it. It doesn't say I can't make it at that time. You're like, so mm-hmm. so again, I think that relates to what you're saying. On the air, it sounds like, you know, when there's no context, it's like, well, you know, Blummer was critical of the way, you know, Bregman approached that ball. And why did he why didn't he use his glove? He should have used bare hand or something. It's like, you know, it doesn't work like that. And as you said already, I think if we look at ourselves through that lens. Um, I think people can understand that. That's probably why you've kept your job for a while too. I mean, you know, <laughs> and the other thing is you, you already touched on this too, but you were, you were in the broadcast booth when they lost a hundred games. So, yeah. you know, again, this isn't the surprise like, oh gosh, who knew I would be, you know, the golden years of the Astros baseball that me, TK and Julia would be, have our voice on this. Like when they lost 102 games, you were like, there is no way that we're ever going to have a golden sucks. era of baseball. <laughs> yeah. They're terrible. So anyway. That's all I got. Well, I, you know, was yeah. there one more thing? I can't remember. I don't know. You, I mean, you have two game winning streak put up there. Mm. Fantasy football has been going all right for some of us. Oh yeah. Well, what for you, you, you just don't put <laughs> four. I, I was saying one was game at a time. Panic? <laughs> yeah, you've won five in a row. I've won four out of five. The only person I lost to during that time, you. There you go. And both of us are up there in, in points scored, so I'm feeling pretty good about that. Dude, I think I I'm think, finally like two points ahead of you. Yeah, you're it ahead took of me. me seven, but, no, it took me nine weeks to get ahead of you, finally. Yeah. But again, right, this me? is 
Dungeons and Dragons for uh, jocks. Yes, yes. I'm finally ahead of you. Because <laughs> we're Dungeons like, Dragons. yes, there you are. But we're, yeah. we're we're still in the mix. You know, the last thing, I guess, I said the last thing about the uh, we versus they, but we touched on that. But um, there was some people on Twitter going crazy about Joe Buck and, you know, the fact that he's no longer doing baseball and now they have Smoltz and Smoltz gets crushed. I mean, people were talking, you know, he's a windbag or he's whatever. I'm like... He called the Harper essentially like Harper's going to be looking for curveball probably every single at bat. Bam, home run! Like I actually thought Smoltz maybe not Tony Romo ish, but he was mm-hmm. he looked like a soothsayer. But uh, without getting yourself in hot water, um, we have talked about local versus national, the connection they have to the teams, the insight that they provide. Insight, I don't know. Mm. Um, did you feel like now I can ask you a more direct question because this this will yeah. be easier for you? Did you feel like they had it out? I don't think the cheating scandal was getting crushed. I feel like no. Smoltz was pretty measured, but a lot of people felt like he had it out for the Astros. I didn't see that, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on the broadcasting from a national perspective, and then we can leave it at that. Yeah, maybe I took. I, maybe I've I've full on taken the red pill whatever it is, but I, I felt there were moments where I felt like I was watching a Phillies broadcast oh, because, because like when it. the Astros would take a lead or if the Phillies were doing something good, he would be like, this is how you need to approach it. He was constantly talking strategy for the Phillies. And I was like, how about talking about the Astros trying to slam the door, or shove it up these guys' butts? I'm like, can we get something on the other side? Can we? I mean, he did a little bit better with Justin Verlander, but I think it's because he's old and he respected it or whatever. Yeah. But he was just kind of like, wow, Javier's keep striking guys out. How about Javier's got this ridiculous fastball? Talk more about that and why he yeah. why he watched Lance McCullers throw 18% fastball. And then in game, uh, game four, whatever it was, Javier came out and threw 72% fastballs. So talk about the adjustment and the game planning in that sense. But that's that's a long answer to yeah. Sometimes it felt like a Phillies broadcast. Joe Davis is a play-by-play guy for the Dodgers, so I mean we know where he stands. Yeah, you know that I love it. I, that I didn't see again. This is the insight you said I got El Reptile right. I mean I had no oh, idea that they it. call him El Reptile, whatever his name. You would is. have done him more justice on that no hitter. I think there yeah. you go. That's right. But but I I do appreciate your insight because I'm just a nice guy sitting over here listening to it. And I think we're in the Astros world. That's fine. But I wonder how the rest of the nation took it. I, you know, Joe Davis is fine for me. I still like Joe Buck. And I think he's okay tra- too. Yeah. The traditionalist in me. And I actually think Joe Buck, now that you mention it, would have done a better job at fair and balanced because I think yeah. when you've been in that seat long enough and you're professional, you're fair and balanced. Whereas somebody like Smoltz, like your job, the color guy is to mm-hmm. kind of feed off what he's hearing and the questions that he's getting asked and what he sees. So anyway, yeah. it's interesting. I tell you what, dude, it felt good to get back in the bleachers with you. Your voice sounds great. And the insight is still there. You're all over uh. it. And of course we love to, uh, to shout out all of the military, both home and abroad. And those that have served too, all the veterans out there too, that have protected us over the years and continue to protect us. We appreciate you first responders who continue to rush into harm's way, continue to keep us safe here, uh, domestically. And of course, all of the, uh, the, the first, not the first responders, but the essential workers, those doctors, those EMTs, those nurses, everybody out there who, who continues to keep us safe, especially with flu season, actually 
coming back into fruition. And uh, of course, the teachers. We are coming up on Thanksgiving break and Christmas break. Keep grinding. Keep working hard. Keep doing a great job. We appreciate all of you. And of course, being in the bleachers means a couple of things for us, Tuttle. What is it? Yeah, so uh, there's a couple of things. Let me just jump in. Tomorrow's Veterans Day. This podcast will probably come out on Veterans Day. So to your to your point, because we're normally releasing earlier in the week, let's let's uh, give a special shout out as you already did to the veterans. Tomorrow, uh, our CrossFit workout is Badger. That's in honor of Navy Navy Chief Petty Officer Mark Carter, Virginia Beach, killed in Iraq, December 11, 2007. So there you go. So if you guys are into fitness or you're going to head to your local uh, gym, maybe you could look up the uh, Badger workout and do that. I will probably be doing that tomorrow morning about 6 a.m. California time. And if you're over the age of 45, please don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. Get after it and believe it. And guess what, folks? There's some Astros fans here on the uh, old left coast. The yeah, the Astros we are love the you, 2000, <laughs> 2022 World Series champion Astros. We appreciate you. Mancini playing behind the runner at first. He goes, and the pitch is lifted to right by Cassianos. Long run for Tucker over toward the line and foul territory. Makes the catch, and the Houston Astros do it again. 2022 World Series champions.